2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Welcome to Novel Dialogue, a podcast sponsored by the Society for Novel Studies and produced in partnership with Public Books, an online magazine of arts, ideas, and scholarship. I'm Sarah Wasserman, and I'm one of the hosts for Season 3. You'll be hearing from a few hosts this season, including Novel Dialogue's fabulous founders, Arti Vade and John Plotz. Today, I have the honor of welcoming Chang-Rae Lee, who will be in conversation with the scholar and critic Anne Anlin Chang. I doubt listeners to this podcast need an introduction to either of today's guests, but I have the good fortune of introducing them anyways. Chang-Rae Lee is the author of Native Speaker, winner of the Hemingway Foundation Penn Award for First Fiction, as well as On Such a Full sea, A Gesture Life, A Loft, and The Surrendered, which won the Dayton Peace Prize and was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. His most recent best selling novel is My Year Abroad, published in 2021 by Riverhead Books. Also in 2021, Chang Ray won the Award of Merit for the novel from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. He teaches writing at Stanford University. Anne Chang is professor of English at Princeton University, where she is also affiliated faculty in the Program in American Studies, the Program in Gender and Sexuality Studies, and the Committee on Film Studies. She is the author of The Melancholy of Race, Psychoanalysis, Assimilation, and Hidden Grief, as well as Second Skin, Josephine Baker and the Modern Surface, and, most recently, Ornamentalism. You can also find her writing in the New York Times, the Huffington Post, and the Atlantic. Before I get out of the way and let Chang-Rae and Ann do the talking, which is my real job here, I want to note that the two of them have some institutional overlaps. Chang-Rae was professor of creative writing at Princeton and director of Princeton's program in creative writing. And Anne received her master's in English and creative writing from Stanford. I mention this because place in Chang-Rae's novels, the quiet suburban town of Bedley Run in a Gesture life, the near future labor settlement of Beemore in On Such a Full Sea, or the frozen yogurt shop in a town that sure seems a lot like Princeton at the beginning of my year abroad is central. Through his breathtaking prose, Chang-Rae brings forth both familiar and strange new places to life. But with that, I shall now recede into my place, the background, and turn it over to you, to Anne and Chang-Rae. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you,
1: Sarah. Hi, Chang-Rae. So good to be talking to you. Thank you for making the time.
2: Oh, wonderful to, to connect with you again, Anne.
1: Well, you know, this has been such an extraordinary year in, well, you know, in all kinds of ways. Just, you know, I've recently I've started to really sort of compulsively list things that have gone wrong. You know, um, a pandemic that's hitting the entire world, targeting the especially weak and vulnerable environmental disaster, creating fire on one end of the U.S. and flooding on the other. There's, you know... Um, African-Americans being killed every day. There's Asian-Americans being attacked on the street. There is, you know, um, uh, sort of, you know, January the 6th, the insurrection of the Capitol. Um, It just, there's just so much going on that makes me feel like we are living in a dystopic (laughs) future. Um, So I was wondering whether, well, just sort of generally, I'm curious, how has the pandemic and everything else um, has influenced the way you write. If it has, I you know, I don't know.
2: Well, I don't know about you, but you know, probably when it first happened last spring, I guess, when we were all under lockdown initially, I had a lot of trouble. And I, it felt very similar to the time after 9/11, I remember. Hmm. After 9-11, for about six months, uh, I was in the middle of a project and and all of a sudden everything uh, all, every dimension seemed to, to skew and to warp. And so nothing that I was writing seemed to have any traction or, or the gravity, um, it was just kind of floating there. And I think that, uh, I, I kind of felt the same way. I think we all did, we We've then quite unsure of our footing yeah uh what what you know as and as the litany of things that you just mentioned i mean th- there are plenty of bad things okay. going on anyway uh, and then this was the this was the the crowning thing that i think uh really made us feel unmoored and and i've always i've always tried to you know in in some ways my work has been about unmooring and being unmoored uh but in my life i've always Tried to moor myself quite, <laughs> quite rigidly, <laughs> uh, both out of fear and uncertainty, and um, but but also kind of hope that you'd find something in that mooring.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, and and I guess uh, it took me a while to get back to it, um, you know, to to the work and and to what I was really caring about, really interested in. And, and I think that's always the, ch- the challenge for us writers is it's not that you, know, you can write about anything, but and you, and if you, you, know, you can write decently about anything, but if you're gonna write in a worthwhile way about something, as I always tell my students, um, you have to really understand why you care.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I have to say one thing I realized during the pandemic was um, that one is lucky if one could just find things to do that feels meaningful. I mean, actually, that, was, that just seems like um, it, it's in some ways such a basic thing and so difficult uh, throughout it. But just straight, I want to sort of figure out the timeline here a little bit, because, you know, the, um, My Year of Bra, your new novel, just came out, but when did you finish it?
2: I was doing the, the last bit of editing uh, during the pandemic, mm. uh, that, just, just at the beginning. So the book had been pretty much finished Uh, Mm -hmm. the story and nothing really major changed so so it was it was a book that it uh, took frankly took quite a quite a bit of time uh from about five years of writing on and off and Mm -hmm. um so it was it was a strange i was i was i was happy that i wasn't trying to generate new material Mm
1: -hmm.
2: after that point um Mm -hmm. and just looking back on things but curiously of course because the book is um well, it's both about uh, a certain kind of <laughs> peripatetic yearning <laughs> and uh, and a lot of movement, but it's also a book that that includes a lot of uh, cloistering um, and um, and and whether it's choice or not, uh, remaining in place, and and so uh, so it. As a reader of the book, uh, I, I sort of became fascinated with the book as, uh, as maybe something that, you know, I don't know, maybe I was connecting with something that was happening uh, in mm-hmm. our world, yeah. uh, maybe something that was connecting in, in terms of, you know, all the things that not would go on, but were going on anyway, our sense mm-hmm. of being siloed, I think, uh, mm-hmm. over the last four years and, um, and, our, and our wish, a wish to, to go away.
1: I was sort of curious for my year abroad. What was the hardest thing about this particular book for you?
2: This book, it it surprised me. I think because of the way it ends up ranging, and mm-hmm. um, you know that it it I didn't conceive of it as a book that would um, would spread out as widely as it does. Um, I knew that there was going to be an adventure tale. Um, and I knew that there would be a domestic part of the novel where where people were in in some sense, you know, uh anchored. Um but I didn't know both of those, the 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 poles of those those experiences and context. Um I didn't know uh, the scale of that. Uh, in 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 each area, and then I didn't quite understand, uh, even though I thought about it a lot, how those two things would integrate and then unify uh, in some way. Um, and so I think that was the that was probably the toughest part for me. I I, I understood the characters early on. Um, I understood some of their concerns early on, um, but but how I brought in the world, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always the question, right i mean it's the context of a of a novel the the setting if if it's the setting or a certain kind of psychic setting um that's the part that uh that readers i think sometimes think, oh, he'll just fill that in as a kind of stage backdrop but it's of course not it has to be completely integrated and and relevant uh to 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 the action to the to the mindset uh to the spirit of, of the people inside of it or in front of it. Uh, so it's not that it's background or foreground, it's just, it's part of the atmosphere.
1: Well, given, given the scope and given the, um, the movements, the, the many different pieces, the many different characters, um, and this is a dumb question, but I'm just so curious. Do you actually, are you one of those people who do like no cards? track?
2: <laughs> yeah a, fr- a friend of mine actually who who, who read the book asked me a, a kind of related question he said you know tiller who's the who's the, uh, mm-hmm. the narrator of the novel he has so many little observations and mm-hmm. asides and little thoughts and and my friend enjoyed those he said but there's so many of those do you just have a list of things that people think about <laughs> and then use and then look for a place to fit them in and and i said you know i i'd be much more organized and and much less insane if i did have that list <laughs> but uh and and a lot and a lot you know just happier but i don't and it's mm-hmm. it's just something that uh, and it's the same that goes for say plot or you know little episodes uh, and this is something that i I've always kind of not not embraced but maybe just accepted and maybe embraced later in my career, mm-hmm. particularly with the the writing of on such a full Sea, my last novel, which is very episodic um, again, a kind of adventure tale and and i I guess my my aesthetic um uh, process includes uh, a certain kind of headlong uh, rush into whatever comes next, <laughs> which actually fit very well with this book. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but but uh, but that's that's taken me a long time to to feel comfortable doing um, to try to quell the fee- all the fears that are associated with that kind of uh, that kind of. Um, well uh, i guess purposeful um purposeful escape and getting lost you know mm-hmm. um and and that's that's something that that it, that i guess it's hard to explain it's just to really convince people that that's the way i do it but but that is
0: i wonder if i might jump in and ask a follow up question to Anne's, um because i agree with her that that to some degree every novel you write feels like it's in a different genre. It's something I, I really admire. And it's interesting to hear you talk about the adventure novel, because we might also think about My Year Abroad, of course, as a as a food, food a riff on food writing or a riff on the great American novel. But it seems to me that so many of your books have both what you're talking about, this kind of epic sweep and braiding lots of different strands together, whether it's place or time, Um, But, you know, you also work on the granular, especially with detail at the sentence level. But I'm curious if you like to read those kinds of books. Do you like to read or or teach your students novels that have a a certain kind of ambitious sprawl to them? Or do you like something completely different from what you write?
2: Well, most of my reading is, a lot of my reading is, is, especially fiction, is actually associated with my teaching. And um, so, to be honest, I don't read as much fiction on, just for my own pleasure as much as I'd like. But and that reading is is typically short stories. Strangely, <laughs> you know. And so and just that's because my students that's what they're working on. And um, and in some ways, uh, you know, for the purposes of class or workshop, short stories are 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 you know just just much more available in so many ways uh, for discussion, um, for a concentrated discussion. So, so it's interesting that your you know your question is interesting to me because um, because I focus so much as a teacher and as a reader in in the granular <laughs> and in 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 you know a scale that in which and I love this I love teaching stories in fact I love teaching very short sto- short stories um, where where my students and I can look at the whole thing all at once and in the sense of that it's this perfect little world perfect of course in quotes but 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 what i do when i when i write is in some ways cast all that off um, i suppose with the 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 you know these longer form stories that I'm, that i've always worked on and always loved working on i think it's a certain love of that imperfect uh, the, the love of accident, the love of mayhem. Um, and even if it's a quiet book and a very controlled book, say, you know, with a character who's, who's really circumspect and meticulous and careful, um, I, I think that's when I look even more inside, more deeply for that mayhem. Yeah. Um, often maybe expressed in some kind of darkness, um, mm-hmm. some kind of secret. Uh, some kind of madness.
1: I was thinking about how, as, as, at least in um, in cinema, how the Asian continue to be associated with capital in some intense way. So, on one ex- on one extreme, you have Crazy Rich Asian, right, where um, um, where what the, what the cap you know so conspicuous consumption is. Um, it's sort of like the euphoria of conspicuous consumption, and then on the other spectrum might be something like Parasite, where it is the 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 other um, degradation, right? a result of, of capitalism, and the Asian is somehow you know either the euphoric symbol or the or the parasitic degraded um, figure. Um, and in, in your in in your new book, in my year abroad, I was thinking about how capitalism um, has swallowed up the idea of cosmopolitanism, right? So that, you know, so that there's a way in which cosmopolitanism is really nothing but an expression of capitalist um, desire, right? Or fulfillment. I mean, it's the same with crazy rich Asian, like, because you you look at crazy rich Asian and you think, oh, you have these super cosmopolitan Asians who are almost nationless in the sense that they can go to Europe, they can go, you know, they're educated in Britain, they, they, you know, they live in Paris, et cetera. But it turns out like all their values are turned out to be basically like Gucci and pure. Yes. <laughs> like it turns out like their cosmopolitanism is just basically like Western capitalism. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sort of curious like in in um, how, how do you think about the possibility of a kind of global citizenship? Um, is it even possible in the world of my year abroad?
2: Well, it's been it's been hijacked by you know that street. I remember walking in Amsterdam. Of course, you know we know why we we think we go to Amsterdam, right? We want those the beautiful canals and <laughs> that the houses and um, you know that 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 old world feel. And but there's this particular street where I happened to be staying in Amsterdam. It was just a friend's place, and it was just that street. It was the same street with Gucci, Prada, Valentino. The, and I saw the same street, of course, in Venice when I was here. There, the, the, it was in fact, I, I think that it must be the same developer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have this veneer of cosmopolitanism, but in fact, it's very, very provincial. But provincial, of course, at an elite, you know, mm-hmm. super, yeah. um, super rarefied level. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, when going back to what you said before about a certain kind of optimization. Uh, I think particularly Asians too, the, the way Asians are represented and the way that we, we see ourselves is that we're sort of like, uh, in, maybe this is an offshoot of the model minority notion is that we're sort of optimized capitalist, <laughs> you know, tools, mm-hmm. right? And that if we're not, as we see in Parasite, um, then we're utter failures, uh, mm-hmm. degraded, degenerate,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, less, less than.
1: Yeah, live
2: in the basement. Yeah, yeah, literally live in the basement. Uh, So I don't know that I don't know that it's it that that kind of what what we know of as cosmopolitanism now, yeah. um, Which I think ultimately I think the hope, of course, is that ultimately humanistically it's about a certain kind of brotherhood, Mm, right? That that we if we're nationless, the the best side of that is that we can speak across, right? Politics and, right. uh, but I think that again is 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 in is a huge is in huge risk yeah. uh, that that um, that I don't know that that's possible anymore.
1: I know. Um, I don't
2: know what else. I don't know how we get back to that though. Um, um, and that's that's something that that I think is a real anxiety in in a lot of my work actually, and particularly in my year abroad.
1: Actually, listening to you, it certainly occurs. It suddenly occurs to me that. That there is actually um, there there is actually a moment in the novel where I think we get a vision of something that is that is bond or community, but not capitalist. That is kind of like a resistance to all that. It's short lived. It's very temporary. But it's a, it's basically the, the the community kitchen table, that Taylor.
2: Yes, uh, <laughs> that's his, right. And well, and b- yeah. because, well, you know, his tillers, you know, a sort of adopted son, I suppose yeah, is Victor Jr. He's the, uh, you know, he's the child chef prodigy. And, uh, and, you know, people have asked me a lot about that so like, why You know, it's interesting, but why did, why did you go into all this food stuff? And, and I always say that it's not so much about the food. I mean, food can be fun and it can be literally savory, but but ultimately, what is food about, right? Food is about being human. Food is about uh, understanding that, uh, you know, in a, in a materialist sense, you know, the philosophical materialist sense that that and the physical in, in terms of physicalism, that that's all we are, and the, and that's the way food is the um, is the medium by which uh, we can connect with each other, mm-hmm. and. And that's the and that's the only way I think, and it's sort of a sad commentary I think about bringing people together. Um, but it's also the most essential and basic one, the foundational one. Mm. Um, and I guess I wanted, you know, after all the things that Tiller has gone through in the course of his travels with Pong, his issues with his his family, uh, his issues with himself, I think I wanted him to again get back to very basic kinds of activities. And, and and Modi, where he's 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 trying to connect up with something um, that is actually real, that is undeniable, that can't be parsed, or mm-hmm. or or really to in you know in philosophized uh, mm-hmm. to some to some abstractness.
1: I think uh, it's very different. I do think it's very important in the novel because you know if if in the capitalist world, which is mostly the world in the novel, you know you're you're eaten. You eat or you be eaten, right? Those are the two options. Um, and so I think the table, right, that he creates um, where he doesn't get paid for it and he doesn't, you know, it's just, you know, it's, just, it's actually a, and, and and of course it couldn't last forever, but still um, having that moment, it's, you know, it's actually a very, I, I actually found that I needed those moments in order to, in order to sort of survive what was to me, Um, very harsh about a lot of the world, right, in which he lives. Um, And and so one of the things I wanted to ask you um, to do, if I I, I was going to ask you to read a a passage, um, because it is, well, for several reasons. One, because it is a really beautiful example of the way in which your um, prose is on the one hand, lucid, but on the other hand, incredibly layered and evocative. And he also addresses the other thing that I think is very, what I find very hard um, about the book, um, which is Taylor's sort of transcendental orphanness or homelessness. I know he still has his father, um, but he is a character who's really unmoored. You know, um, and what's behind the mooring is the haunting of his mother. Right? Um, and so I was wondering if you could, do you have your book with you?
2: Yeah, I do. I oh, do.
1: good. Um, so like, um, so I would, I was going to ask you to start on the bottom of um, 64. Mm-hmm. Um, and that. then go to the, you know, the end of 65, if you don't mind.
2: Okay, sh- sure. Val nodded, though she was clearly unsure of what that meant tech or metaphor wise. I wasn't sure either, though I was already screening the one random picture of my mother that my dad left up for a while. He and my mother didn't have many photographs on display anyway, and most of those were just of me. This one of her was on the kitchen desk for a while after she split, a shot of her solo, taken during the, my first couple of years. I know because you can see the front part of a stroller with a sky blue socked pixie foot at the corner of the frame. One day it was gone and I hardly missed it. Like what happens when a huge tree comes down after a storm? You think the bright new hole in the sky is never going to get filled. But then a few days later, everything is somehow recalibrated and it's as if the tree never existed. Anyway, in the picture she was kneeling as if she was retrieving a rattle I had dropped beside the stroller. And for some reason, Clark thought this would make an interesting shot, which to be honest, it is. She's wearing jeans and a slate gray blouse with the sleeves rolled up and her hair is wrapped in a blue and white checked bandana, which I don't recall her otherwise using. And she's got these huge round dark sunglasses on, though it's clearly not a sunny day. The backdrop more like the color of her blouse. She's not looking at the camera, but gazing errantly past the picture taker, maybe to the horizon. And the funny thing is, this, even when I was st- staring directly at it, it was tough to be sure it was truly her. In fact, you could wonder if this person was trying to veil herself in the way a person in witness protection ha would, not just with the obscuring costume of the glasses and bandana, but with an expression to the world that wasn't gleeful or glum, keen or disinterested, and only remarkable in that it was thoroughly, totally null. And although I can conjure her at various moments, Those moments have steadily melded into one another to the point that the whole has become this mash. She's become a woman made of her woman versions, stacked in ghosted layers. This final misaligned image that flickers in and out, in and out, in a self-perpetuating cycle. I guess we each construct our own purgatory. So this must be mine.
1: It's just so, it's so exquisite, so painful. You know the picture that no longer exists, but that he still remembers so clearly. And then within the picture, his own fragmentary presence—a foot, you know—the um, mother's um, already absence in the picture. It's just so exquisite, and of course the connection to Val um, the, with the witness protection. Um, but the you know there's a way in which the not you know it's the the and you know Tiller's very like. Sentimental as a speaker um and yet throughout this novel and most intensely here but all throughout the novel the figure of the mother um Hunt, um you know tiller making you think that you know you know she's a shadow behind val she's a shadow behind pong she's a shadow behind him you know running all over the world um so I, I i i um anyway i just i don't really have a question about it i just want to observe that this is one of the it's just, a, it's just an exquisite example of the ways in which you capture this you know the psychological depth of a character who is not so interested in telling you about his psychological depth.
2: <laughs> no he's he's resisting it the whole time and he, yeah. he has this agreement with Val not to t- you know talk about family but of course you know, as any reader, as a, you know, astute reader should know is that whenever a character says something like that, that's exactly what they want to talk about the whole time. And this, this scene, um, and I hadn't read it and you know, since I probably wrote it. Um, but, um, but it's, uh, it haunts me a little bit because I think that's how, I think we all remember our lost ones, you know, um, that they, they flicker in and out but of course they're always there um, and that's that's the you know it's the it's the thread or the uh, the specter of actually flickering out for good that that is is so unsettling um, and maybe it makes us hold on so so much tighter. And this is something for Hedic- Tiller, particularly, of course, is that yes, this is the this is the the chasm. This is the this is the the initial unmooring that in which everything, his whole world, even though he he's it's he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. It's it's the thing that sets him off into his life in this story that that in, in with such imbalance imbalance. Um, uh, and uh, and I didn't want to, again, I, I didn't want to go into it as much as I think, you know, maybe a different m- writer that I was would have, uh, mm-hmm. maybe because I've written about my own mother's mother and losing my mother so often during the years, but, um, but I did want it to be there uh, as a, another world in this other, you know, a, 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 a companion world to the world that we see.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, I this I felt- is the, the hidden one. Yeah and that's what's so exquisite right that you feel the presence of that, that other world the shadow of it it's formative um it's uh, as a kind of formative grief um though never explicitly or elaborately you know foregrounded um but nonetheless incredibly haunting um for its go- for its own spectrality so it's um really beautiful and for me that is one of the more haunting passages as well mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: i, I was going to ask why because um i do i love this passage too because i think in so many of your novels you somehow manage to bring together disinterested or repressed characters with this exuberant prose it's it almost feels like a, a magic trick that those two things can work together but when you were talking about this passage and and reading it today you were talking about feeling haunted by it and one one question that often gets asked in in the podcast more generally is you know about your relationship to your own books once they're done you know do you have favorites among them can you stand them do you look back and think (laughs) oh no I could have done this differently what happens once once one of these novels comes into the world aside from from haunting you perhaps
2: well uh I try not to let them haunt me because I try frankly I I don't Think about them very much until I until we have conversations. But I think, and I think that's just a self uh, preservation uh, mechanism <laughs> because um, because as as you know. Um, both of you, I mean, you know, as writers, as thinkers, there's so many things that we'd like to revise, to edit, to go back. Especially, you know, as a fiction writer, it's just endless. The choices are endless to begin with, and in, in in originating these things, and then they they even that infinity is multiplied when looking back. <laughs> so, uh, so it's uh, it, it's just inviting madness. But but for me, I I think I've I've tried to take the longer view, a kind of orbital view on, on my work um, and not to say, I, I just, I, I, it's, I'm not trying to be falsely modest or anything like that. I just, I, I see it as just these little scratches that I did once and then I'm moving on. Um, and I think that's the only way that uh, I can continue to write new work I think that if you, if I think too, and I know if I think too much about how things turned out and uh, it, it would be impossible to generate uh, new ideas and new energy. I feel as if, um, you know, my job is to kind of, you know, like as Nietzsche said, to love fate, mm-hmm. to to love what happened, um, not love, I uh, like, you know, adore, but just, just accept it, truly mm-hmm. embrace it and just, put it away and see what happens next
1: can you tell us what you're working on now well now. i'm working
2: yeah i'm working on a story set in um, the 70s um it kind of an auto you know semi-autobiographical novel it's a novel it's not a, it's not a memoir about um uh, a young korean american kid and his family new immigrants in the new york area and and uh, a little episode that happens in their lives one summer. It's just a little, a little book. Uh, but, uh, but I've always wanted to write about that time um, and that, uh, that the 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 I guess the the mindset that we had and the the feeling that we had as a young immigrant family mm-hmm. uh, before, you know, we were educated before. Uh, We made it before all those other things uh, when things were when life was um, uh, quite, uh, you know, I I guess quite arresting every day. (laughs) And and, uh, uh, so so that's what I'm working on now.
0: Wonderful. It sounds great. Yeah, we hope you. For the sake of the readers, don't look back at the old books, but do look back to the 70s, I guess, is the the paradox there. But um, in closing, so Novel Dialogue always ends the show by asking a signature question. And this season, our signature question is the following. It's if you could snap your fingers and suddenly have one extraordinary new talent, what would it be?
2: (laughs) Well, I've always, always, always uh, wanted to be a painter. I always, I always thought that that would be amazing. I'd always thought also be a great musicians, but, but, um, but I, I, I love the idea of silently uh, creating something that just exploded visually, and, mm-hmm. and, and I wish I could, uh, I wish I could draw. I wish I could paint. I wish I could. Um, I wish I could do those things. And maybe that's, it's something that I would never have thought I'd be interested in when I was younger, but maybe as I, maybe I'm, I'm much more visual now, maybe because I like to sit around and just look at things. (laughs) (laughs) And the more you look at things, the more you realize that there's, there's so much detail, there's so much intricacy Mm -hmm. Um, and not just to represent it, but to, to imagine new, new Mm -hmm. kinds of complexities would be cool. Visual. It
0: seems so unfair, our, what our listeners, uh, What our listeners can't know is that Anne is sitting in front of a virtual background, which is her own artwork. So oh, wow. we have, we have an artist I, among us making, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> making those of us who wish we could draw or paint <laughs> yeah. long for it even more, which feels in keeping with the spirit of longing and yearning from today's yeah. conversation.
1: Well, you know, something, cherry it's funny that you said it because, you know, for me, it's been like therapy. It is, it is, uh, it is being able to be quiet and concentrate yeah. and really look, um, but an activity in which I have no ego. Like, yes. it's not like writing, I have no stakes in it. Um, yes. And so it is It's very peaceful for me. Yes, yeah. And it's also lingua. it's really fun to create something with your hands, you know? Exactly,
2: it's, just- <laughs> it's very, it's very tactile. Yeah. And because that, that certain kind of lingual articu- articulation is a different thing, right? And, and right. something yes. non-lingual, you know, in tactile is, um, is, is amazing. So yeah, yeah. good for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much to both of you for your time and your insights today. In parting, I'll remind listeners that Chang-Rae Lee's latest novel, My Year Abroad, is available in bookstores everywhere. That's brick and mortar and online bookstores. And we are grateful to the Society for Novel there. Studies for its sponsorship, to Public Books for its partnership, and we wish to thank Duke and Brandeis Universities for their support. Hannah Jorgensen is our production intern and designer, Claire Ogden, our sound engineer, and James Drani, our blog editor. Thanks so much for listening. Be well and keep reading.